If you do have your Bibles, you can turn to them, if you still turn to them. With all the electronics, many of us now, with our iPads, our smartphones, all those things, have it, and that's a wonderful way. But if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 18, that's where we'll be today. The story we're going to tell in our series of stories is about a blind man named Bartimaeus. We'll get to that in a little bit. Blind Bartimaeus, Luke chapter 18. So we talk about our story. Stories. What will yours be? That's the theme that we've run through this entire time. Today we want to tell a couple of more stories. But as you should have received an invitation, we trust that you'll hold on to that, not open it until we give you an indication a little later on. We want to make sure that whatever we tell applies to you and to your story. You've heard a little bit more of our story. If you're here at different chapel or evening times that weren't required, you know a little bit more about us than just in Sacramento. We do have our youngest child, our daughter here, uh, a senior, and uh, we've been thrilled with Indiana Wesleyan and all they've done. So if we don't see you tonight, we just want to take a moment to say thank you for the opportunity to be here, and we're privileged. But we do have a, a senior softball player here, so we give a shout-out to, we're a little biased towards softball uh, at, at Indiana Wesleyan, but all your athletic programs and what we love about it is the spiritual culture of every aspect of Indiana Wesleyan University. And uh, we are thankful for you. You make the difference, students. And we want to challenge you to make sure whatever happens academically, athletically, socially, all of that, that we don't lose sight as we really begin a new semester, and you're well into it now, of the spiritual component, the spiritual aspect. Because we care about you way beyond what you accomplish and what you can do. And really this idea of stories, as we conclude tonight, we're going to talk more about our purpose and not even our calling or our job, but our purpose. As you begin to write that and share that with others because we think God wants to write that story with you. Luke chapter 18. Story of a beggar. You see, most of you can probably see me. A beggar in the biblical times, and this was the same point, at the edge of the town, at the edge of the city, would literally be carried in by his friends and be on the ground, obviously, this one was blind. He might have knelt because this one could walk. But he had help to get there, and literally, this was their job. To somehow make something, because all they were doing was begging for somebody to give them some coin. And although it's not recorded in Luke, it is in Mark, the same story, and that's where we know it's the man named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is there, and he is begging. He is begging for people to put some coin in his palm so he can make it another day. He's right at the city gate, right at the entrance there, at the temple and all those, so people would be coming by as they walked. This time, Jesus is coming by. At this point, Jesus is coming 
And Bartimaeus is told by his friends that Jesus is coming. Obviously, he's blind. He can't see it. But there's noise happening. He can hear the footsteps. He can hear the rumblings. He can even hear some of the conversation and the talk. And he can hear people beginning to say, it's, it's Jesus. Hey, Jesus is showing up. And Bartimaeus, in his blindness, couldn't physically see him, but he knew about Jesus. And the scripture says that he cried out. And the people who were leading the charge, leading the way for Jesus came in, began to quiet him, Scripture says. You can read it for yourself, but I'm telling you the truth. And, and they began to, to tell him, hey, knock it off! You're loud, you're obnoxious, you're bothersome. Jesus doesn't basically have time for you, leave him alone. He's busy with everybody else. And you know what Bartimaeus does? Scripture says he screamed out louder it was a guttural scream he yelled for jesus he shouted so loud it was that deep almost almost that scared as i said guttural i want him to know and i want everybody else to know jesus and as he cried out the more people tried to quiet him down, the more he screamed out. Because he knew Jesus was coming and he wanted to get his attention. Because he thought maybe Jesus would do more than just put coin in his palm. Verse 38 says, So he began shouting, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the fact that he said, have mercy on me, is the same thing all the other beggars would have been saying to people coming up around them. It would just be, we want some money. We need some money. Have mercy on me. Now, the difference about what Bartimaeus says here is that he says, son of David. Now, this is a messianic title. In other words, Bartimaeus is saying, you are the Messiah. You are the one who is divinely anointed and coming to save Israel and rule over us. So we already see that Bartimaeus is taking a step of faith here. Now, a week later, everybody says the same thing as, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. This is the end of his ministry just before he's crucified. So they say the same thing. That's the son of David means the same thing there as well. He is showing a step of faith in the divinity of who Jesus is. So in verse 40 and 41, it's Jesus walks over to him and says, what do you want me to do? Well, I guess logic, I'm a very logical person. I would have thought, he's blind. You've been healing people for three years. He wants healed, but Jesus wants him to speak. What does he want Jesus to do for him? You see, Jesus knew he'd taken that step of faith to Messiah. But he needed Bartimaeus to take another step. And Bartimaeus says, Lord, I want to see. When he said that, he was moving in his heart. He was demonstrating. He was speaking out faith, not just in the Messiah, 
but in a personal Lord and Savior. In verse 42, it says, And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Bartimaeus' faith moved from Messiah the deliverer of the Jew to Messiah, my personal healer. His faith was not just a physical blindness. He wasn't healed just from a physical blindness. But he was healed from a spiritual blindness as well. His eyes were truly open. When he said, I want to see, Jesus really did help him truly see. How often do we ask God for something and he wants to do so much more. So much more for us and in us and through us, more than we even are asking. But we just say, I want to see, and he says, I want you to see. Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? He's asking each one of you, what do you want me to do for you? We have a 21-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Addie. I'm sorry. She is 21 months, not 21 years. <laughs> I know I'm old, but wait a second here. Wow. Our youngest child is almost 21. It's the grandchild is 21 months. And our 21-year-old almost doesn't have a 21-month-old. No, no. Anyway, I digress again. Back to the t- grandchild. So she's 21 months, and she really doesn't talk. But when she's upset, she'll raise up her arms to you and say, me, 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 me. And she wants you to pick her up and to hold her because she's saying, me, help me. I want you to look at me. I want you to hold me. I want you to take care of me, me. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do the same. I want you to reach out to me. I want you to ask me for help. When was the last time that you needed Jesus so much that you cried out in desperation? Hmm. When was the last time you said, Jesus, I, I need help? Jesus, I need comfort. Jesus, I need forgiveness. Jesus, I need you. I need you. Jesus, I need you to come into that room in my heart that I've shut off to you. I need you in there because I'm screwing it up. Jesus, I need you. How far is your desperation gone? Have you only called out to your roommates or to your parents or to your friends or just screamed out at God in general, but not truly sought him and said, I need you. Bartimaeus really had a need in his blindness. He needed to be healed from blindness. His situation was desperate. That was all he could do 
was sit here and beg because there were no other opportunities for him to get money and, and have a living. He had to beg. He needed healing from his, with his sight. But think about this. Put up this next slide. The, this is the real question. Are we blind to the consequences of living without Jesus as Lord of our life? You know, Gerilyn, time and again we see that. David cried out to God in desperation at times and, and screamed out to God, I need you. Bartimaeus was screaming out. What did he say when Jesus asked him the question? I want to see. Now we think it's the obvious, but he began, Jesus began to help Bartimaeus understand, I want you to verbalize what your need is. Now, how many of us believe that God knows what we need before we ask? Yeah, most of us do that. We understand that. So why ask, right? That's been a question. So why ask? Why pray? Well, prayer is a whole conversation, as we talked about last night, an interaction with, with God. It's about the relationship that we've been talking about. Your story, as you've allowed God to affect your life. But 26 times in the New Testament, it talks about asking. You and I are asked to ask Essence, we're told to ask. Ask God. Here's what I need. Would you? I want to ask God for you to do that. Now, if we believe God knows it already, why? Because he wants us to verbalize. He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Somewhat seems like a silly question. And yet, Jesus wanted him to begin to verbalize and vocalize his faith. He wanted him to believe that Jesus could do more than, as I said before, of putting coin in his palm, of helping him get through another day. He wanted Jesus to change his life. He wanted him to come in and do a miracle of more than just the, the physical healing, but I really believe Bartimaeus began as he cried out to him, you can do so much more than that. Are you and I blind to the consequences without Jesus, Lord of our life? What is it that you need Jesus to do for you? What is it? What does he want you to ask him for? You may have trusted him as Lord and Savior, but what is it? Do you need to see in a new way? Do you need something changed? Do you need help? Are you in the middle of difficulty and trying to find your way? Yeah, we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. But so much of the time, it becomes a deeper issue of Lord of our life. It's a leadership issue. It's a surrender issue. It's a, God, I want all of you and I want you to have all of me issue. As he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? As Bartimaeus answers, Gerald just read verse 43 that said, or 42, that your faith has healed you. Verse 43 says, instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. Jesus had the power all along, but not until Bartimaeus declared what he wanted Jesus to do. By his faith, Jesus said he was healed. And when he was healed, here's the cool part. Not only could he physically see, 
But at that moment, Bartimaeus' story had been one way. His story was changed mm-hmm. forever. That's right. We've been praying that Summit 2015 would be that change of your story for some of you. Mm-hmm. We talked about how much God loves us and cares for us this week. Many of you already know that and believe it and live it. How is your story going to help others to understand that? We couldn't believe how many talked to us and shared their hurts of not feeling the love, of of feeling like an insecure nobody, of all those kinds of things. So there are people around you. So if you've got it and God is working in your life and part of your story is going really well in your spiritual walk, then how are you helping others experience that? Because if we've got it and found it, don't we want others to know it? His story was changed at that moment. Not everybody did. Did you catch that? Instantly the man could see and he what? He followed Jesus. There is understanding and implication from those smarter than me that interpret the scripture that said he literally then went after Jesus and walked with him the rest of his days, the few days he was still remaining on earth. He was a follower of of Christ. There was a spiritual transformation of his sight as well. He began to see in a whole new personal individual way. Russell Moore says it this way. I really like this. For too long we, and I'm a part of the we, we've called unbelievers to invite Jesus into your life. Jesus doesn't want to be in your life. Your life's a wreck. Jesus calls you into his life. I love the way that's put. Right? We think we're doing God some big favor by saying, why don't you come into my life? You and I have really screwed it up. He is saying, I have taken care of this long before you even wanted me. In fact, Scripture says, Romans 5, 6 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We were in spiritual blindness and we didn't even know it, and yet Christ came for us to save us, to restore us, to give us sight, to heal us, to make us new. Jesus invites us. If you don't believe it, I would say not only read it, but memorize it. Know John 10.10. Jesus invites us into an abundant, fulfilled life. As I like to put it with our team of people, when we get opportunity, the best life possible. It really is. It is about eternal life. Don't mistake that. But it's about abundant life here on earth. It doesn't mean everything's solved, everything's piece of cake, everything's wonderful. You don't have worries, you don't have stress, you don't have insecurities, you don't have spiritual blindness or physical blindness, you don't have everything put perfect but you do have the best life going the abundant fulfilled life that Jesus wants to bring how many times have we stopped short and missed what God really wants for us and yet Jesus does a profound thing in asking the question and then scripture tells us to ask Gerald and I get to do some corporate work with with companies and teams and as we do that we've learned to really try to ask questions and learn to ask the best questions we can to find that out and then help people to discover what it is that they need. 
when we sit down, we sometimes will sit down with the, the CEO of the company or somebody in charge of something that's asking us to come in, and we will begin to say, what are your expectations of this? We want to make sure that we're on the same page. Leadership. They say leaders now are the ones who have learned to ask the best questions, not to give all the answers. Jesus was a master at asking questions. Mm-hmm. Jesus wants you and I to verbalize our faith and then to expect him to deliver on that and, as Paul said, to the God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can think or ask or imagine. Wow. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Jim, I think you brought up a great point. Is He wants... The expectation. What is our expectation? Yeah. Are we expecting everything that God can and wants to do for us? Do we really believe it and then expect it? Yeah, exactly. And how much more does he want to give for us? And as we talk to, to companies and we talk to people, we say, is that a realistic expectation? And then sometimes, are you limiting that? Can it be more than that as we develop teams and work with them? But that idea is right. Are we expecting when we give the answer? And by the way, Jesus does a great job of asking a question, but he listens. I don't know how many of you are in a relationship with some significant other at this point. I know the whole ring to, uh, by spring kind of thing at Christian universities. But one of the things Gerilyn said is, you ask a question, could you do me a favor and wait for the answer? Sometimes I, I give an answer or I even ask a question. I'm not worried about it. I'm already trying to solve it. Jesus waits for Bartimaeus to answer. Jesus doesn't try to figure it out. When he asked him the question, he wanted Bartimaeus to answer it. What is it for you and for me? What is Jesus inviting us to have him do? That's the question we want to ask. We want to move it from Bartimaeus and a nice story there to what is it that you want Jesus? What are we inviting or asking Jesus to do? What is he inviting us to have him do? What is it today, team? What way do you want to see? If you would answer, I want to see, what does that mean for you specifically? What need are you in right now? What hurt are you dealing with? What battle are you facing? What struggle? What challenge? What surrender issue of attitude, of ego, of insecurity, of pride, of I've got it all together. I don't need it, God. I love you. Thanks for giving me, for forgiving me, but I got life controlled, handled. Thank you very much. What is Jesus inviting us? To have him do. Drew Farmer is his name. Drew, picture of his family. His mom, Erica, and his dad, very intelligent, sharp people. In fact, the siblings there are, are very sharp as teenagers. They, they have some great discussions and they have thought through a lot of things, not just emotionally, 
But Erica is in graduate school here through Wesley Seminary. Dan is an engineer for Raytheon. Basically, they build bombs. They don't say that, but that's a lot of what they do. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but if I ask Dan what he really does, I get to serve with Dan. I have in the past on our district board a layperson, but I asked him what he does. He said, well, if I really told you what I did, I'd have to kill you. And I said, okay, that's all right. Thanks. <laughs> but I'm just talking about a, a sharp family. And they have gone through some stuff recently. And I point out Drew specifically because Drew, at the age of 14 in 2012, was diagnosed with a severe brain cancer, a brain tumor. It was one of those that doctors basically said, we don't know what's going to happen, but we don't expect the best. They immediately got in once they found out and did surgery, got 99.9% .9 of the tumor, but they still knew there was a severe risk. Drew and his family had incredible faith, and they asked God to heal Drew. Drew miraculously surprised the doctors. And there was a healing that seemed to take place that even dumbfounded the doctors. But more than that, every opportunity Drew got, he shared his faith in Jesus because he had faith that God would heal him from spiritual blindness much more than physical, although they were praying and believing for physical healing. Drew continued to improve. And it was a miracle for us to watch all that happened. But more than that, it was Drew's faith and his family's faith that was incredible. It was amazing for us to watch. I mean, you go minister to them, you try to share with them, and you try to help them out. They live in Arizona, we live in California, but our, our denomination's uh, district is the same, and so we would see them periodically at district events and opportunities. And it was amazing. Every time you'd try to say, hey, we're praying for you, encourage you, contact them, something, they would encourage you back. They would minister to us more than many people would minister to them. Their faith was incredible, and they were believing God to work a miracle, and he continued to do so. And that tumor, the doctor said, just continue to go away. But Drew didn't want just spiritual or physical sight. He didn't want physical healing. He wanted not only to see Jesus because he had faith in him and he experienced spiritual transformation. His story was changed because of what God had done in him. But his faith was so great that he shared his story with others and he wanted other people to spiritually see like never before. And he was just, to his doctors, to people around him, to his classmates, it didn't matter. Drew shared his faith. He logically had walked through this. He, he didn't just emotionally do it. He was such a sharp kid that, that he would, not in a bad way debate, but he was able to articulate well. And he would allow people that conversation. But he had processed this and he helped them to see spiritually like never before. Drew entered his senior year this year, but in June of 2015, when he turned 17, he noticed headaches coming back. The doctors realized that there was a 
different part of his brain, but another brain tumor. In August, they began to talk to him, and they said, we don't think there's anything we can do. He was so excited to go to school. And so on the first day of school, he went, and he was excited to tell his friends what God had spoken to him. And he claims that God said to him, I will heal you in three days. In three days. Drew was healed. And he is home with Jesus in heaven. In fact, on Facebook, his mom puts, Drew is healed and he is with Jesus. And his faith has healed him. Now, I'm not very spiritual sometimes, guys. In fact, I think I'm too, too much this way. But I th- I'm afraid too many people spiritualize it. In fact, I just got a text this week. Somebody had cancer and they had surgery in our church. And somebody said, hey, they wanted you to know that the cancer is gone. The doctor's got it all. And it's wonderful news. And they ended the text with, God is good. Frankly, I'm tired of God is good at the end of the statement when God does something, somebody's protected and, and healed Somebody is saved in an accident as if that's the only time God is good. And that's all I'm saying. I think we as Christians have done God a disservice by saying, well, God is good. It only seems to come when something happens that's good to us. What happens when a 17-year-old dies? What happens when a 17-year-old that had a great story and believed God was going to heal him, and he did heal him? I'm telling you this. God is still good, and that's what... Dan and Erica, farmer parents, would say, that's what Drew would say if he were standing here today. God is incredibly good, and God did heal me, Drew would tell you. But it isn't only in the times when we get an A on a test that we didn't study for. Wow, God is good. And more serious, we've had parents and we've had people where you, kids, have been in accidents, and God has spared you, and we are thankful for that. We are thankful for that. We know that. But that God is not only good when good things happen, teams. When we look at it and say, bad things happen. You know what? God is still good. God is still king. And he has healed. When my mom passed away a few years ago, we prayed for healing. And when God took her home, I told people this. And she lived a lot longer than a 17-year-old. And you have friends and stories, I'm sure. But I told people, mom is healed, mom is whole, and mom is home. Why wouldn't I believe that if I believe in an eternal life? Why wouldn't I believe that if there is something better than this life than just here and we're dead and gone and don't exist any longer? If I really believe that God is God and Jesus forgives me of my sins and he is Lord of my life and he is healer and he is king and I get to spend eternity with him, then that's what complete healing is all about. That's what wholeness is all about. That's what we all eventually strive for. Even though many of you are convinced you're invincible at this age. We know that. 17-year-old wasn't as invincible as he thought before the brain tumor came. You should have received, and I don't know if everybody got one, 
There are these available on the table out as you leave if you did miss this. But you, would you grab your invitation? You know all about invitations. Some of you are graduating and you'll be sending those out. Some of you are getting married and do that invitation. Some of you just graduated high school last spring, sent out those invitations. You know what an invitation is. Here's the deal. This is an invitation from Jesus Christ. Uh, Stay with me for a moment before you read that. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to catch. Jesus does not command us. Jesus does not demand us to enter into relationship with us. He invites us in. He invited Bartimaeus to be healed. He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? So you can see they beautifully embossed it on the back. And we would encourage you to hang on to that envelope and stick it on your board. And remember the invitation from Jesus. But as you open it up, you can read, but I would like to read this to you. And you can read along as well. Dear beloved, this is from Jesus. With a deep and longing desire for a personal relationship with you. Because I want to know, I want you to know how much I love and care for you. Please accept my invitation to trust in me and follow me. Join me in the journey and to begin a genuine relationship with me by receiving my forgiveness while trusting me as Lord, leader, and forgiver of your life. Or you may say this, I've already done that. Choose to go deeper in our relationship by surrendering all you are to me and following me. As you begin to reread that yourself and look at that, I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. If Drew Farmer were standing here today, he would say, I want you to know what I know. And it was my faith that healed me because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what Drew wanted. He wanted others to see Jesus, not just him. We want you to see spiritually. And Jesus is here right now through that invitation. And he's saying, I'm going to invite you. I will not force you to do anything but I want you to receive my invitation to join me in my life. I want you to come to know me. I want you to experience me. And if you already know me, I want to go deeper in that relationship with you. Here's our chance to respond. Would you simply check one of those boxes? And here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to bring that up. And if you would put your name on that, if you really care enough about follow-up, you'll make it legible for us to understand. And put a mailbox on there so our chaplains can follow up with you but here's what we're going to ask you to do we're going to ask you to respond to the love and care of God that we've been talking about this week and some of you it's a surrender an attitude it's an issue it's a control thing whatever it may be but God wants you to have a love relationship with him and he's inviting you so would you stand right now take a moment to check off one of those boxes, put your name on there, a mailbox number, and we're going to invite you to walk up here to the front and drop it on the stage. Just place it on the stage and return to your seat as we sing this song of invitation. Father, you are provider, you are healer, you are the lover of our soul. Lord, as we come before you, and as we leave this place, anything that may come into our path, Lord, help us say to you, Lord, 
it is well with my soul. Lord, we know that you have it in your hands. And we know that you will be with us through every storm and every trial, Lord. It is well with our soul. And we cling to you and we cling to the promise, Lord, that you will take care of us and that you will provide for us and that you love us through it all. So it is well with our soul. As we leave here today, Lord, let those words that have been spoken this morning and the songs that we have sung remain in our minds, Lord, that we are your children and it is well. We love you, God, and we thank you for the ways that you have moved in and through us, through Summit, Lord. You are good. In your name, amen. You are dismissed.